Good morning to our listeners and welcome back for the second season of the Arc Waves podcast, Dr. Bronk. For those of you who don't know, Dr. Danielle Bronk has a PhD in counseling psychology with a specialization in neuropsychology. She is the founder of Neurodevelopmental Health Services in Utica, New York, and she has dedicated her career to improving the well-being and development of young people. We are privileged to have Dr. Bronk back today to take a deeper dive into teens with language disorder and executive functioning difficulties and how teachers and parents can support children with these concerns. After our last episode, we had a lot of great feedback that the information was super valuable, and we look forward to another robust discussion. Thanks, Dr. Bronk. So with that being said, Dr. Bronk, thank you again so much for coming to talk with us. And I was hoping you could just share with our listeners who maybe didn't hear you on the previous episode a little bit more about your education and your practice at Neurodevelopmental Health Services. Sure. Thank you for having me. So I am a board-certified pediatric neuropsychologist, and my practice focuses primarily on uh, children ages 2 through young adulthood who may be experiencing some learning, social, emotional, or behavioral-based um, challenge. And my job is to uh, you know, work with them to really understand their profile of cognitive, behavioral, social, emotional strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and so it really is, uh, you know, important for me to identify the strengths so we can uh, capitalize on those in terms of educating children, um, but also working with them outside of school, but then also identifying what areas are less developed. And so we can make sure the right services and therapies are in place. I love framing so, it that way. Yeah. I, you know, the last time we had you on, um, you were extremely helpful, um, I think, for our listeners to hear about um, the process of the evaluation that you do, which is extremely thorough. Um, and, you know, and also just how do you support parents with taking that first step? How do you get the schools involved? Um, we talked a lot about the prevalence of autism and autism spectrum disorder. We thought in this um, episode, though, we would focus on the kids who, um, or parents that, you know, trying to find some help for them about the uh, related issues to if you're child maybe went for an evaluation, perhaps um, wasn't on the autism spectrum disorder, but later in their years, like in the early teen years, you still see some issues with them having maybe challenges with speaking to others, um, expressing themselves, or perhaps, you know, understanding what people are saying to them or organizational skills. And more specifically, we wanted to talk to you today about language disorder and then also executive functioning challenges. So could you talk a little bit about what is a language disorder and how it's diagnosed? Sure. So language is pivotal to a child's overall development. Students use language to not only understand others, um, but to also communicate their ideas, process new information, grasp new concepts and ideas, and master language-based skills such as reading and writing and self-regulation. So uh, when a child has issue in one of those realms, uh, it's important to go for an evaluation. And most often that's with a speech and language pathologist, but other times it can be with someone like myself, a pediatric neuropsych neuropsychologist, 
to see if a language disorder is present. And a language disorder, by definition, is a communication disorder that affects a child's ability to understand and or speak. And language disordered children struggle with written language, spoken language, or both. And then there are several different um, types of communication disorders that are commonly diagnosed, one of which is a language disorder. And that's difficulty in the acquisition or use of language due to deficits in comprehension or production and vocabulary sentence or discourse. Uh, another disorder is called a speech sound disorder. And you, you may hear the term articulation. Mm -hmm. And that's with persisting difficulty with speech sound production that can interfere with speech intelligibility. Uh, there's also another communication disorder called childhood fluency disorder, or what we commonly refer to as stuttering, which is trouble with normal fluency or time patterning of speech. And then lastly, a more newer diagno diagnosis is uh, something called social communication disorder. Hmm. And what that is are persisting difficulties in the social use of verbal uh, and nonverbal communication. And when I say nonverbal communication, I mean things like eye contact, uh, you know, making and using facial expressions to communicate affect, using nonverbal gestures, um, you know, during communication, and the ability to interpret those in others. So language disorders can lead to difficulties understanding others, following directions, grasping verbal concepts. Uh, so, you know, and it, and it has a social implication as well. So being able to follow conversations, attending to others when they speak, retrieving vocabulary words when speaking, and or putting together organized sentences. So that's that's just kind of a, a, a very quick um, overview of, of language disorder. I think that's extremely helpful. And thank you. I, I had no idea there were so many different um, parts to the a language disorder. Me um, either. So that's very helpful. What is the prevalence of language disorder? And, and is it often misdiagnosed and misunderstood? So it's estimated that five to 10% of Americans have a communication disorder. Hmm. Uh, and when we think about young children, uh, another, um, you know, said a data point is 5% of first graders have recognizable speech disorders. Uh, a child is, is more likely to have a language disorder if a parent or sibling was also diagnosed with, with a language disorder. So it tends to run in families. Uh, and typically, you know, a good comprehensive speech and language evaluation. And that can start as early as through early intervention for children zero to age two, um, where if they have concerns, going to the pediatrician, talking about that, um, you know, having a referral to early intervention in their particular county. Or for children age three to five, it can be through their school district, through a preschool evaluation. And then obviously school-age children can seek out a speech and language evaluation in the community or in their school district. Dr. Brown, do you sure. see, um, you know, as, as a parent of, you know, children and understanding what it's like to kind of wonder where your child fits on kind of a spectrum of abilities. Do you see people wait too long to get evaluated? And is there such a thing? I'd like to hope that any help is good help once you get to that point. You know, sometimes uh, parents may decide, let's just kind of wait it out and see how the child develops. And if it's something that uh, they can, 
you know, just kind of naturally overcome or, you know, I think it's helpful to reference developmental charts and there are numerous ones online through the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, that talk about the different milestones and things that we should be expecting early on. I think it's always helpful to talk to the pediatrician and hear what their thoughts are. Sure. Uh, and, and there's no harm if there is a, a persisting suspicion to have an evaluation. Uh, and there are times where for some children it's more subtle and maybe they're not showing um, particular delay or difficulty early on. But what we see is in school or school age children, adolescents, that these issues become more apparent as they struggle with academic concepts. Right. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And the social piece, I think, too, you know, and the social piece. Sure. so much is that, you know, being a teenager, there's so much development. It's and it's, you know, very challenging time you know, for them socially. So when there is that challenge of communicating with others um, or responding and not really understanding what somebody is is necessarily asking you and all the sort of the nuances of that, you know, it is it is hard for them. It's a hard time. Yes. Um, what types of support does a child uh, who might be diagnosed with a language disorder uh, need from parents and teachers? So once once the child has had a comprehensive evaluation, we can identify what are the needs and uh, the way in which to develop an educational program. So if the child needs speech and language therapy, Uh, for expressive or spoken language issues, Mm -hmm. receptive language issues. And receptive could be at the very basic level of understanding spoken language, but it can also be what we call higher order language processing. And especially in adolescence, this becomes much more uh, necessary in day-to-day academic skills. And this is, uh, you know, things like understanding ambiguous language, um, figurative language, you know, being able to, when reading, making predictions, identifying opinion. Mm. So all of those skills, those higher order language skills really become essential as the child transitions to middle school and high school. So, you know, identifying if there are speech and language needs through that can be met through therapy and also through special education services. So support in reading or writing to help build those skills. You know, you mentioned um, some of the different language disorders, and Karen referenced that she wasn't aware that there were so many of them, and neither was I. And you referenced one that was kind of a newer diagnosis, the social communication disorder. Would that be kind of what you're describing in talking about uh, understanding that nuance and the predictability of language and, you know, whether something's opinion or sarcasm or figurative? um, Is that what that falls into? And is that being a newer diagnosis? something that people are readily understanding how to help support the children through? Good question. So it can absolutely be some of those higher order language challenges that we see in those children with social communication disorder. Uh, We can see that they may struggle with initiating and maintaining conversations So knowing the right things to say or being able to follow up on a a communication partner's comments. Uh Uh, It can be perceiving and interpreting social cues of others. So, you know, and what we know is in adolescence, it becomes much more nuance based. So, you know, in elementary school, 
much of, of social interaction is play-based, uh, gross motor play, imaginative play. And then in middle school and high school, it becomes very communication-based. Mm -hmm. So picking up on cues, um, interpreting those, um, being able to, you know, follow up and not just follow one's own conversational lead, but follow others as well. Is that a point at which parents tend to start to think, does my child fall on the autism spectrum? And perhaps do you see those evaluations more commonly? Um, not more commonly, but in the teenage years where parents are coming to you and said, I, you know, the, he wasn't diagnosed or she wasn't diagnosed early on, but I'm really starting to see these, these challenges socially. Um, mm -hmm. And curious about whether or not that, you know, the person is, um, has a language disorder or has these issues, mm -hmm. but do you see that often? I see it very often. So it's a common referral question that I encounter. Uh, and the child may not have had early language delays, uh, but as the child has um, developed the concerns around their social functioning, mm -hmm. social communication, uh, become apparent. And, and so then it becomes, um, you know, my job to then understand, because what we know is, you know, for autism spectrum disorder, the hallmark is impairments, marked impairments in social interaction, social communication, but also the presence of, of other more atypical behavioral features too. So you have to have the full constellation of symptoms. Right. And so then it becomes, you know, a, a really critical um, role for me is to differentiate. Uh, are they displaying that constellation of, of, of symptom profile? Or is it something like a social communication disorder where there are these social challenges related to social communication, both verbal and nonverbal, but they're not, the child is not just, you know, uh, displaying those um, repetitive behaviors or stereotyped behaviors or uh, sensory-based issues that, that a child on the autism spectrum displays. Okay. <laughs> Karen and I are just both so intrigued by all this information that we're both kind of sitting here. You can see both our wheels spinning. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I'm looking at uh, all these electronics in front of me as we record here, and I'm wondering what role having a cell phone and the ability to text and Snapchat and all these different electronic means of communication that especially teens are uh, utilizing may have either as a benefit or as a detriment to you know, teens who are trying to navigate those challenging social uh, interactions who also have a social communication disorder. Right. So, you know, that is a, a big question for us is that how much technology use um, may interfere. You know, it, it doesn't take the place of of direct face-to-face -face communication mm -hmm. and all the subtleties that go along with that mm -hmm. and, and environmental context, right? So sure. what context are we in? What environment are we in? And how does that shape how we're communicating and relating to each other? So, uh, you know, that is a, a very uh, interesting question is, is how much does technology um, potentially have an impact on picking up some of those more subtle social cues? Um, you know, one of the things that we also wanted to talk about, and at first I just want to say this is extremely helpful, and I think especially can't, you know, underscore this enough that if parents of a teen have some questions about how their child is 
managing academically or they're seeing starting to see some patterns on the social side or communication there you know are people that can help um who can point them in the right direction to have an evaluation such as by yourself you know by you or others and um i think sometimes parents of teenagers don't realize that it's not too late it's not too late to have an evaluation it's not it's 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 important that you do that there are resources out there um it's not just for little kids but there's you know um resources for teens and even Mm -hmm. adults and you know, I think that's a really important to, at any point, get that um, evaluation so you can start to find some strategies and interventions that can be helpful for that person um, moving forward. So I just want to ask you, um, kind of turn it a little bit into mm-hmm. um, what is executive functioning and how can this impact kids, especially teenagers? Sure. So executive functioning is a term umbrella term for goal-directed behaviors that help us accomplish tasks. And really, it's um, several different types of of cognitive-based abilities, Uh, planning and organization, self-monitoring, initiation, uh, something called working memory, which is our ability to hold information in mind and manipulate it for problem solving. So an example would be like doing mental math in your head. as well as as some other areas that we wouldn't necessarily think are part of executive functioning, but they are, and those include emotional decision making and emotional control. And so, it these behaviors become exceptionally important as as we advance and and as we mature uh, for school, but for also everyday type activities. Uh, for accomplishing different activities, for driving. Uh, driving is one particular activity uh, that pulls for so many executive functions. Sure, that uh, makes sense. Sure. And so they really, they're independent of IQ. So uh, one, you know, so, you know, one could have be gifted, have advanced intellect, but may have some struggle in executive functioning or vice versa. So, it's really important to understand and identify what challenges an individual may have with executive functioning because there's so many implications for schooling, for everyday kind of functioning. What um, Does this ever play a role in other um, diagnosis or disorders such as ADHD or spectrum disorders, executive so, functioning? Yes, it absolutely, so it absolutely does. And what we see is that um, many neurodevelopmental conditions um, can have not part of the diagnostic criteria per se for a a particular neurodevelopmental disorder, but what we do see is that many uh, neurodevelopmental conditions, children and adolescents can experience executive function issues. And some of those include learning disabilities, uh, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, as well as language-based um, issues or disorder, uh, and even even mood too. So, if an individual has depression, mm. um, a bipolar disorder, what we can see is that uh, there can be an impact on executive functioning as well. How does um, how does it, you mention this a little bit? But the executive functioning. So, um, if how would a parent start to recognize that there might be some issues with their teenager 
with executive functioning and that it may be time for them to um, seek out help? Sure, good question. So, you know, observing the child at home, you know, I think parents um, may, you know, see their child in in performing different activities and daily kinds of chores and see if there are difficulties with how they organize themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Are these kids that are misplacing things commonly or are particularly forgetful? Uh, Do they have difficulty remembering um, several step directives? Uh, Are they, do they struggle to organize or plan a problem solving approach? Especially as we enter middle school and high school, are these kids that really struggle with bigger long-term projects? Um, you know, getting going, um, staying on track, uh, knowing how to, you know, execute um, bigger type tasks or that multi-step tasks. Um, those are some of the, the, the things that we would see at home. At school, we could see that a child may have issues with more complex math problem solving, with writing lengthier um, papers. They may struggle uh, with aspects of reading comprehension, um, being able to, um, you know, keep in mind what they're reading and then recall it or be able to comprehend text, lengthier text. So those are, are some of the ways we might see it at home and then in school as well. And it's not just that, you know, I asked my son to clean his room and he didn't. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, um, I've had that happen many times, but, you know, I, I, it's not that that's not necessarily, you know, the criteria to, to diagnose. I think it's you know, you see it in a number of different areas across the social side or the academic side where you're starting to really see some challenges, deep challenges, I think, for for your child. Um, and that's the point at which you, you know, want to seek out resources. And um, I know you provided a, an excellent list, and we're going to make sure that our listeners will, will be able to see those. Um, one of them I know we've read before in our family is um, the Smart and Scattered Teen. Um, and I think that's been extremely helpful just to sort of begin to see, um, are there ways that you can help your child and see things in a different lens? Um, not every kid is the same. You know, if you have more than one child in the family, you know, it may be a different approach you have to take to help them, um, you know, routinely clean their room, (laughs) um, you know, or to, to, to get more organized. So, you know, um, and And, it it really is, it's persisting difficulties across a variety of, of contexts and, um, situations and tasks. So, and and if there are questions and you'll hear from teachers too, are they, are they, completing their homework, but then they're not turning it in mm-hmm. or they're losing it. Mm-hmm. And and this is happening repeatedly. Uh, so there are these in the in the books that are provided in, in the resource list um, have checklists and things for parents to uh, and there are also checklists online that that one can um, you know, download for free that go through some of the various types of executive functioning to see, okay, are am I seeing that that there is um, some real struggle here. Uh, what have you seen, um, you know, besides obviously the resources and the books, um, I'm just curious, what have you seen as some really um, almost evidence-based, I guess, strategies that that have you've seen as, as successful for those Great question. teens? 
Yes, really good question. So there's a number of compensatory strategies that students can use to really compensate for organizational trouble, um, you know, planning difficulties. So it's really thinking about what are the specific executive functions that a, that a adolescent may be struggling with. And then there are so many lovely compensatory strategies, lists, uh, and, and really too, a lot, many online, online resources. So note-taking resources, things that, that can help individuals um, or even at the college level, uh, you know, I, I work with college-age students who, you know, may struggle to organize notes when they're in a class. And so we talk about um, using a smart pen, which, you know, records the lecture and uploads it to their laptop. So they have, um, you know, it's almost like a... Um, if they missed, if there's a gap in their own notes, uh, that they've caught it through the auditory realm. And, oh, and so, cool. mm-hmm. yeah, so there's all, there's many uh, technology-based resources, compensatory strategies um, that are provided in some of the books that are mentioned. And then another uh, thing that we know about executive dysfunction is that coaching supports can be particularly helpful. So there are now um, many professionals, PhDs like myself or master's level clinicians who offer executive function coaching Mm. and where they will identify the individual's needs and then develop their own plan for that individual. Um, And what we also know is that teachers can provide executive function support embedded within their curriculum. And so you see many good teachers, you know, uh, instructing kids, not just giving them a planner, but how to use it, how to write, what's the most important info to write down? Mm-hmm. How do you write that down? And and checks and balances for the students. So good teachers know that and embed executive functioning within their curriculum. You know, it's interesting. We talked a little bit earlier about the role of technology and how it might be difficult uh, to use for those with a language disorder. But I wonder, is there a role, as you mentioned with the smart pen, where technology could be an advantage for those with executive function disorder, perhaps prompts on their calendar saying, you know, now's the time to do this homework or setting aside a block of time to complete a certain task and prompting them as a reminder uh, to get ready to do that task, things like that. Oh, yes. So there's there's many different options on the market now in terms of alerts, reminders, um, ways in which to, you know, help a student organize themselves. There's also with writing because writing pulls for so many executive function um, areas, planning, organization, self-monitoring. There's predictive writing software that that cues a student to say, did you mean to write that? Or, oh, wow. um, you know, do you, <laughs> we all could use it, right? <laughs> so, you know, um, do you want to put a, a question mark instead of a, a, a period here? So it's it's prompting as the student's writing. So there there's some you know, really great technology on the market to help support kids with executive dysfunction. And how nice to be able to learn in real time, I imagine, having that correction right then when you, right. you know, maybe put a period and should have put a question mark, really re, um, or underscores rather, the learning and the lesson there. So that's awesome. This, this has been extremely helpful as as the first time we had you on the podcast um, also, and I, I'm absolutely 100% um, appreciate you being here, but also know that the parents that um, that are listening will, will also, I think, have take take a lot away from this. 
Um, is there anything that, you know, regarding language disorder or um, executive functioning that you want to um, mention that we haven't talked about already? I think, you know, for parents, you know, really following your intuition, if if there's a concern and it and it keeps coming up, uh, you know, there's no harm in talking with a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Or if the pediatrician isn't isn't that responsive, talking to your child's school, hearing from teachers, and 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 then if it still it remains a question for the parent, really going forward with an evaluation. Sure. And um, and that can be done through the school or outside of school uh, to really learn. Um, you know relative to um, other children, you know, their same age, where, where do their abilities lie? And, and, and then also coming up with a plan to help that student um, can be so beneficial. So, you know, just following your gut as a parent, I think is really critical. And that's a great way to summarize yes. the conversation, I think, really. Um, Dr. Bronk, thank you so much. Thank you for the list of resources. As Karen said before, we're going to make sure those are in the show notes for all mm-hmm. the parents who are listening. And our website. And our website, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And just this this wealth of information and this gift that you're giving to the community who's listening is um, can't be overstated, I don't think. Right. I agree. Thank oh, you. Thank you. My pleasure. I always enjoy talking to you both. I talk to you soon. Thank you. Disclaimer, the views, ideas, and opinions expressed in this podcast are only those of the individuals involved and do not reflect the official policy or position of the ARC Oneida Lewis chapter, the ARC New York, or any other agency, organization, employer, or company.